Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you The Seminarians, a dialogue with students from the Pontifical College Josephinum, produced by AM820 to encourage and inspire vocations to the religious life. And now, The Seminarians. Welcome to The Seminarian Show. I'm Jonathan Torres from the Diocese of Charlotte, North Carolina. Joining me are Dalton Irvin from Victoria, Texas, and Gordon Mott from Columbus, Ohio. Let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners, sinners, now and at the the hour hour of our death. death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, today I wanted to talk about a trip that we recently took as a class, our third year theology class. We went to... Italy, specifically Rome and Assisi, for our canonical retreat. And so for those listening who do not know what a canonical retreat is, it is a retreat that's required by the church um, that we have to take for at least five days um, in preparation for our ordination. So we will be ordained, uh, God willing, this summer as uh, deacons. And so this retreat kind of prepares us uh, to enter into that holy order. Um, And so we spent five days in Rome and five days in Assisi, and it was my first time uh, across the ocean uh, to Europe, and I, I mean, in short, I loved it. (laughs) Um, I was expecting to be amazed with all the art and culture, um, but honestly, I did not expect to be so wowed um, as I was. Um, And so I really wanted to just get into our experience of that, uh, our spiritual experiences, our experiences of the culture, of the art. Uh, you know, we bonded a lot as a class, too. Um, and so just just to throw it out there, you know, how how was your experience and, you know, was this your first time uh, in Rome? This was my first time in Rome, uh, first time in Italy. The only other time I had been over into Europe was for World Youth Day in 2011 mm. uh, in Madrid with Pope Benedict XVI. Um, both pilgrimages, but this one was entirely different than than that trip to World Youth Day uh, in that, as you said, we were there together as a class in preparation uh, for diaconate ordination. Um, and really not knowing what to expect outside of our very uh, fluid itinerary yeah. that we were given, you know, <laughs> uh, wake up, breakfast, tour, lunch on your own, dinner. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and and so not knowing what was going to happen overall going in there and, and only having seen pictures and imagined in my mind yeah. uh, what it would be like. Uh, just the magnitude of it all. You know, when we left the airport, you're going through countryside. There's nothing really yeah. there. Uh, but then you you start getting into the city of Rome itself. It looks like just old apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. And then you turn a corner and it's St. Peter's Basilica. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think um, part of being thrown into Rome specifically, you really get a sense of how different it is from our own culture. Um, America is young, you know, yeah. compared compared to you know Italy and Europe in general. Um, there are you get this sense of just it's like another world almost. Mm-hmm. You're stepping into a time machine when you see these great basilicas. You see the mindset 
of these people who built it uh, yeah, and the yeah. people that congregated to it, how their entire worldview is just so different than ours. We have a much more utilitarian worldview, and so our our culture is expressed in that way, where even our buildings are utilitarian, not as beautiful as they could be. Right? Yeah, yeah. There was I remember one church we walked into, just a small group of us during free time, walked into one church that was heated by patio heaters. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, right. but yeah. they knew they needed heat, but they're not about to destroy the art of the church, <laughs> right? Uh, for the sake of comfort, right? So they just bring in propane patio heaters, yeah. That we, w- you know, we have out on patios at restaurants <laughs> or at the seminary, right? Right? Yeah. And in America, they'd be like, "Oh, just tear down the wall and we'll rebuild it again." You know, <laughs> we can repaint that. Yeah, exactly. Here, there's a sacredness to you know the, the buildings, mm-hmm. and as it should be. Um, yeah, my experience seeing um, you, you mentioned Saint, seeing Saint Peter's Basilica for the first time. I think that was probably the biggest highlight is just the Vatican City and everything that's contained in there. I have more favorites within Mm -hmm. Vatican City. But St. Peter's Basilica, you turn onto that road and it almost looks – it's so big and great that it almost looks like a a backdrop, like a a green screen or something uh, with the haze covering it. It's like – it's almost uh, unbelievable how big it is. And so um, it just – it takes your breath away the first time that you're there. and so, I want to just get into more particulars of uh, about um, our our favorite parts. For me, uh, visiting the Vatican museums was uh, really touching. Um, experiencing all that art, thousands of years old, mm-hmm. um, that that was mind blowing. And we had a great uh, tour guide too. It was actually um, our old uh, scripture professor. He's no longer at the Josephinum. Uh, Father Monaco, uh, he's no longer with us, but his sister runs tours in Italy. And so he was able to hook us up with her, and uh, she gave a great tour. She was with us for a couple of tours, actually. And so uh, she really got us into places that we wouldn't otherwise be able to get into. Yeah. And she, her knowledge of everything there was on point. So it really made it that much more enjoyable um, to learn all the history and and yeah, background. and I think with with uh, Mrs. Monaco's tours, she tied together the historicity of it all, the historical significance, the archaeological evidence for everything, yeah. and also tied it in with, with our faith um, yeah, as a Catholic yeah. herself um, and a practicing one. You know, it seemed like she really brought everything together yeah. to where it really shone in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, uh, and so that just added to the experience all the more. I had... Um, I'm not a huge art connoisseur, <laughs> but I will say there are certain um, medieval and Renaissance paintings that I admire um, mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. I went to Rome. And so seeing, for example, one of my favorite rooms um, were Raphael's uh, frescoes. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the, uh, the, the Stanza della Signatura, that's the uh, official name. And my favorite room particularly was where, I'm not sure if... I can. I'm going to describe a painting on the radio. We'll see how well that works. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the School of Athens, where you have Plato and Aristotle in the center, mm-hmm. and they're walking out towards the viewer, and you have Plato pointing upwards, describing the world of forms. That was his kind of um, worldview, and then you have Aristotle pointing out which is kind of saying that the, the reality of things can be found in the things themselves. It's not yeah, so yeah. dualistic or platonic, as it were. Um, and so I've always admired that painting. We have a few in the Josephinum mm-hmm, hanging up. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but seeing it in person and seeing how big it is too, um, to think that that's the original that you know Raphael at you know in his twenties painted this fresco, yeah. and and then seeing it in context in the room, so it's actually positioned in such a way that it's directly across from the another one of Raphael's famous paintings, the Disputation of the Holy Eucharist, mm-hmm. which is another popular one, maybe not as popular as the School of Athens, but it, it shows um, Christ in the Eucharist uh, uh, in a monstrance on an altar. And you have um, popes and other prominent figures um, around the altar kind of discussing the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating about this position of this painting is that it is, like I said, directly across from the School of Athens, and Aristotle is pointing to the Eucharist. Yeah, yeah. And so he's, in a sense, almost... Well, both Plato and Aristotle are walking out towards it, as if saying philosophy is kind of the bedrock of where we get our theology, or theology kind of springs off of philosophy. Yeah, which has always been the perspective of the Church. Yeah, exactly. And to see that this was... uh, expressed in painting mm-hmm. which I, I just it was mind-blowing to see it well and it's a, it's a spectacular absolutely spectacular painting it's a, it's one of my very favorites um i actually had a painting in my room until i gave it to somebody who had a little bit deeper devotion <laughs> to it um but you know it's it's funny because art has a language and a lot of that language has to be learned to then be able to say, oh this is what this piece is saying mm-hmm. but la disputa I mean, if art has a language, La Disputa has the volume on 11 yeah, because yeah. it just speaks so loudly. And I encourage anybody that, you know, has never seen this painting for to, before to, to Google it because yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible. Absolutely. And, um, and then there's one last painting in that room, too, that um, is kind of in that dialogue of paintings, as it were. It's the um, Parnassus, which is uh, Apollo on this mountain, which in Greek mythology or, or Greek uh, history is the... Uh, kind of the symbol for poetry and the arts. Mm-hmm. And so you had this idea of the arts connecting philosophy and theology. And so it's this whole dialogue of all human knowledge, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just, again, I thought it was very moving to see these things that I've admired only on electronic screens and copies yeah, yeah. and to see it in person. Um, it, it was, yeah, breath. it was just breathtaking to say the least. And, um, and so, yeah, that, uh, I think Ra- uh, Raphael's rooms, his frescoes, were a huge selling point <laughs> for yeah. me, for Rome. Um, and just all the art in general. Uh, another one is the Pietà for me. I'm oh, sure yeah. all yeah. of us, all of us, uh, were really moved by that. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know if you guys wanted to chime in with your some of your uh, highlights. Well, yeah, I'll begin with the Pietà. Yeah. And, and just, wow, the first day we got to walk into St. Peter's, um, and there was the Pietà. You have to stand about 45 feet back from mm-hmm. it, maybe a little more. There's a big glass uh, protecting the Pietà after that uh, devastating attack on it yeah, uh, yeah, years right. ago. Man with a hammer. Um, and just, But even through the glass and at a distance, to see the, the glare of Our Lady down um, at, at the, the crucified Christ— and and just how some man was able to capture what I'm sure that moment had to be like. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. To bring the beauty of a mother's love or, or you know, looking at, at death in such a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like all the noise that filled St. Peter's because there's people shuffling around in yeah. there and snapping pictures. But when I looked at that statue, all of that went away 
Yeah. It was almost like a tunnel vision type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if that wasn't good enough, then uh, before meeting Pope Francis, we're back there behind the glass uh, yeah. with the Pieta uh, in person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Incredible. Uh, then the Trevi Fountain. Huge fan oh, yeah, of the Trevi yeah, Fountain. Yeah. Uh, I drug other people there two or three different times so I could go back. <laughs> um, and uh, and then also, I don't know if you'll remember, Jonathan, when we were walking down the street, I believe it was the Church of St. Augustine. Yes. And we walked in, and as soon as you walk in to the left, uh, there's this stunningly dark painting. And we both looked at each other and said, that's got to be a Caravaggio. Yeah. And it was one that we had never, I'd never seen before yeah. in, in reproduction, Our Lady of the Pilgrims. Yeah. And it was off to the side, off this, you know, obscure church that we just thought, hey, you know, let's just check it out. Yeah. And then there's an original Caravaggio just hanging up there. Stunning. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd say those, those three um, pieces, artistically anyways, were mm-hmm. things that I've thought back on the most right. since coming back. Yeah. You're listening to The Seminarian Show on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM 820. You can hear this show every Saturday at 11.30 and Sunday at 1 p.m. and in, in the audio archives at stgabrielradio.com. I'm Jonathan Torres from the Diocese of Charlotte. Joining me are Dalton Irvin from Victoria, Texas, and Gordon Mott from Columbus, Ohio. So we've been talking a little bit about Rome, our experience uh, uh, of our Italian pilgrimage, kind of our favorite works of art, our favorite experiences. We mentioned some art, the Pietà, Raphael's uh, frescoes. Um, Gordon, did you have any anything that uh, <laughs> stuck out to you uh, the most? Well, I, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I mean, being able to prepare for Mass at the foot of the Pietà was yeah. absolutely incredible. That was, you know, so I'm an adult convert, and when I came into the church, that was one of the devotional images that always struck me the most. Mm. Um the uh to see the the way that blessed mother's hands are are kind of stretched um it really caught me how agony isn't necessarily just always portrayed in the face a lot of times it's portrayed in body language and you can see you know her hands you know on the one hand you know extended an offering but on the other side um you can very clearly see that there's there's strain in her hands um so to to see the the emphasis that artists took to kind of really portray the entire human person that mm-hmm. way, um, you know, Caravaggio is famous for it. Um, but you know, on a more personal note, the uh, it, it brought back some some very interesting and very edifying memories from um, uh, when I was a kid growing up and I had cancer, and the uh, when you would show up and get your your chemo and. You know, they you'd, they'd put you in these transfusion rooms, and there was no place to lay down, and you were tired all the time anyways. So they had these chairs, and usually what would happen is, you know, one of your parents would be sitting in the chair, and then you would just sleep on your parent. Mm-hmm. And the body posture that they tended to assume was exactly the same as Blessed Mother is, mm-hmm. is holding in there, that, you know, arms that kind of just support the kid while they're sure. sleeping. And so, you know, we're supposed to you know, see parallels to, to Christ's life in our life. And we're supposed to try and, and walk that. And so it's always been a very edifying image to me personally. That yeah. Like here's this kind of image where I can kind of draw on an experience. It's yeah. like, you know, you kind of get it a little bit more, mm-hmm. I think. Absolutely. Um, but then to be able to see Caravaggio's in person, I mean, they're absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. There was uh, the Ecce Homo came to Columbus not long ago. 
Uh, and I've always had a great dedication to Caravaggio because, you know, here's a painter at a time period where everyone was trying to find the most aesthetically beautiful people that they could mm-hmm. to use as models. And Caravaggio is using street people because he wants real human emotions mm. coming across. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so he doesn't just play with these strengths of contrast between light and dark. Um, in some cases, you can see that he's painting and he's trying so hard to like in Ece Homo to catch kind of that the the strain in Pilate's hand mm-hmm. um, that the paint is built up probably you know an eighth of an inch off of the canvas from where he's made little revisions and little yeah. revisions. Um, so to see somebody doing art as prayer, yeah, you know, really is is a profound experience. Absolutely, absolutely. And going back to the Pietà, um, that would bring us to our Gordon. You mentioned that it was in the chapel of the Pietà that we prepared for Mass with the Pope. Oh, yeah. And so that whole experience of meeting the Pope, we personally got to shake his hand and say hello to him, and then serving Mass for him on the Feast of Mary, Mother of God. Um, I mean, you can visit Rome, but I don't think we're going to have another experience like that. (laughs) Yeah, just like we were talking before coming in here to record, no matter how many times you go to Rome now, Everything's got to hold up against that trip. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because you serve Mass for the Holy Father. Yeah. And not only do you serve Mass for him, but you have this moment of interaction with him in the sacristy before shaking his hand. And if you're not dumbfounded enough at standing before (laughs) the successor of Peter, you can get some words out and he'll reply. Yeah. um, A a small interaction. Yeah. which some were funnier than others. Yeah. <laughs> we won't go there. Shout out to Michael Fulton. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that day was incredible to me. So January 1st, the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, is was my grandmother's birthday. Her name was Mary. Mm. Um, and so being able to serve for the Holy Father on, on my grandmother's birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and she's been gone now for over three years. Mm. Uh, so that was just a very special uh, experience uh, since my family still celebrates that family Christmas on her birthday. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, And I think, um, well, for me personally, I remember just preparing for Mass, going through the rehearsal, seeing the Basilica fill up with thousands of people, and then we're brought to the back, uh, escorted, you know, privately by the papal MCs, and then... Uh, you know, my heart starts to beat, and I'm just like, it's just a man, you know, it's, it's just a yeah. man. I mean, it was great to be saluted by the Swiss Guard also. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. That was pretty cool. <laughs> and, yeah, and we had a little card that said, you know, surfers uh, <laughs> admission, and we just show that, and the guards let us through. That was, it was pretty neat to feel special for a little, a little bit. <laughs> but I remember when uh, all the servers lined up in the sacristy, and the Pope came out. Like, you felt yeah. a presence. I don't know. Yeah. I know that sounds sentimental and corny, but there was something about... Like I can said, affirm just... that Jonathan has no sentimentality, <laughs> no corny. That's not true. That's... I mean, gruff. I'm a loving man. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All that aside, seeing him, he's much shorter than I than I thought he was, uh, was going to be. Nevertheless, despite his posture, age, whatever, there was a sense that you're standing in front of the successor of Peter. Yeah. And you, you can't... There's nothing tangible about tangible about that physically. I mean, that's just something uh, that that's transcendent. I think yeah. meeting him, and then there there was that point where they opened up the curtains to you know, begin oh, the mass, yeah. 
and hundreds of phones just flew in our faces. Recording yeah, you see the flashes going off. Yeah, and, and that was that was a surreal experience. Yeah, it took me till the next day to figure out they weren't taking my picture. No, they did not <laughs> care about you. They're just get out of the way. Put the phone is coming. <laughs> um, but something about being at that altar in St. Peter's Basilica, with, with you know, at the mass that the Pope is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you really got a sense for the transcendence of the liturgy. Um, yeah. At least I did. Yeah. So, very awesome experience. We are running a little shorter on time, um, and I still haven't covered Assisi. There's a ton of Or uh, the food. That's his real concern. We can, well, that's, yeah, I want to yeah. save room for the food. So maybe we could do another show on Assisi at some point. <laughs> um, but in our, in our last couple of minutes, I do want to talk about the most important part, the food. <laughs> so <laughs> pasta every day um two or three times a day two or three times a day i mean the court like it was three course uh dinners four hour four hours long just in great conversation i like that sense of that's a very european uh sentiment of the community at meal mm-hmm. which i i love i love i think we we miss out on that a little bit in our american yeah, culture yeah but um that can be that's an aside how did you put it there do you eat to live or live to eat yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're we're here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's kind of my motto. No, yes and no. But anyway, yeah, the pasta was amazing. So I'm going to ask you all, what are your favorite dishes out of carbonara, amatriciana, or cacio e pepe? pepe right? yeah. that, was the, that was the third one. Those are kind of the three staple pastas in Rome. And so the carbonara is uh, like an egg sauce with Parmesan cheese with bacon. Amatriciana is a... A, so, uh, a pasta with red sauce with bacon in it, some cheese, and then the cacio pepe is mainly a cheese sauce yeah, just with cheese, yeah. pepper. Yeah. Personally, I found the carbonara. That was usually my go-to. Yeah, that was my go-to too, except that one place that lit the amatraziano on fire in a wheel yeah, of cheese. That was awesome. <laughs> that was uh, really edifying for me in my in my conversion over eating to live and living to eat. You know, where was I going to stand on that? Right. Um, yeah, those were my those were my two mainstays. But also the lamb. Oh, lamb the, the in lamb Rome was, was phenomenal. That was good. That's true. And of course, you had to end uh, every meal with a espresso and a little uh, tiramisu. That's, at least I did. <laughs> I never skipped out on dessert. So, uh, Gordon, what was your favorite uh, dish? Um, well, I have to say by far, like I've never been a coffee drinker. I have always admired people that voluntarily drink coffee. Clearly it's their love of penance. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I, I go to Italy and oh my, <laughs> um, I mean the cafe lattes, I mean the first time you have a sip of one and you realize this is what they drink in heaven, yeah. you know? <laughs> I don't know. I think they drink that red table wine that yeah. was on the, the wine table was at every meal. Oh, so much, so much of that wine was, That's right. was incredible. <laughs> to be able to go over there and have uh, Vinsanto and Sagratino and uh, know that, you know, the grapes were imported during, during the Crusades. Yeah, there like was more. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, definitely the coffee. Uh, but no, like the fruit, even the fruit tastes different over mm-hmm. there. Like every Italian restaurant we went to, um, they all had Ananias on, on the menu for dessert and it was just a slice of pineapple. Yeah. But like, it was sweet and delicious in a way that I have never had before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of things over there were just this kind of like, wow, this, this is what things should taste like, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, it was, it was, uh, eye opening. In the same way as Raphael's frescoes. <laughs> so. But I did miss breakfast. 
That's true. Their breakfasts were, we're too very small. skimpy. Yeah, yeah they, they skimped out on the breakfast. No biscuits and gravy or anything yeah. like I that. I remember I got a croissant and an uh, espresso right before one of our tours. And it was this tiny little croissant that I was like, this, this can't feed a toddler. But, <laughs> but anyway, lunch was heavy, which was good. Well, so. that's it. They were saving room for lunch. <laughs> well, yeah, after they march you over these ancient cities I all know, morning, all you, the energy. you have to eat that And then all you wanted is a glass of water, and then they give you wine. <laughs> which I'm not complaining, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. it was it was great. The, and so it was it was really interesting too because you had that contrast between you know feeding the spirit with all seeing all the art and the churches and then feeding the body too. You know, it was a very hylomorphic you know body soul experience. Yeah. So. As I you was with sitting your ten dollar words, <laughs> as I was sitting here thinking about uh, all the great food we had. I was thinking about lunch after the catacombs, which yeah. reminds me how I'm, how edifying the catacombs were yes, as well in exactly. Rome. Yeah. Um, and just hearing the story of the catacombs. I think yeah. a lot of people hear about the catacombs and think they've just always been open and people have been mm. going in and out like a regular it. cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the way they were shut down and then rediscovered, yeah. ransacked and all. Yeah. I think um, people should look into that. Absolutely. And so we're nearing the end now. We didn't get enough time to talk about Assisi. We will have to do some other show on Assisi eventually at some point. Um, but I would like to close now. So thanks for joining us for today's Seminarian Show. You can hear this show every Saturday at 11.30 and Sunday at 1 p.m. and in the audio archives at com. Let us end with a prayer. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for this time that you've given us to discuss uh, the, the heart of uh, our Catholic faith uh, physically in Rome, in Vatican City. And we ask that you continually bless us and all of those listening as we pray, Hail Mary, full, full of, grace, of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. The Seminarians is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of The Seminarians and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Then